We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're reacting to week nine of NFL action on Roto-Viz Radio. Welcome into Rotoviz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, one of the owners here at Rotoviz. Unfortunately, at the very last minute, like right before we were about to record, Curtis had something come up that he had to deal with right away. So unfortunately, we'll be doing another solo pod here. Uh, Zachary Kruger, if you were listening, would have loved to have you pinch it here, but I didn't actually have time to get that going. So the listeners at home, this will be another episode where you are rocking out with me as we break down a very bizarre week nine. One thing I want to say before we start is go and listen to Stealing Bananas with Sean Siegel and Ben Gretsch for an interesting conversation around the way that Diggs and the Buffalo receiving core is being utilized. Uh, the guys dig into that a pretty in pretty detailed depth. And it's an interesting conversation exactly what is going on there, especially in the wake of this really bizarre game in which a Jaguars team, which has been anything but good this year, comes out and beats the Bills nine to six in week nine, a, a bizarre outcome. Uh, but I think an interesting conversation about what is happening in that receiving core. So, we will now get into our normal format here, and let's start off by talking about this week's player of the week, coming from a team that we've talked about a fair amount, and we are actually going to talk more about later on in the podcast, but it has to go to James Conner, who recorded 96 rushing yards, two touchdowns rushing, caught five of five targets, adding 77 receiving yards and a receiving touchdown. A lot of exciting highlights now on the season for James Conner. As everybody probably knows at this point, leading the league in total touchdowns for running backs or wide receivers. Conner has put up 11 touchdowns to this point, followed by Cooper Cup and Derrick Henry at 10. Sure, if Henry was still playing, we might see him in front, but nonetheless, pretty 
impressive numbers for Connor, what we've seen this far. And like I said, we will be getting into a deeper conversation about the Arizona situation in a couple of minutes, but we also need to talk about and this week I will be awarding this illustrious award to Tyler Boyd. Saw two targets, caught one for 11 yards and has become a radically different fantasy player this season than we've been used to. Something that many people worried was on the horizon for Boyd. Had a couple of weeks where he thought he could fight it off, but I saw many people lay to rest Tyler Boyd for redraft purposes this year. And the outlook for Boyd naturally needs to be very different than what it would have been before the Bengals had Jamar Chase. So, Tyler Boyd, snoozer of the week, but fun to get to nominate James Conner for player of the week this week. With the awards behind us, let's get into some game notes. We are going to start over in Carolina. Christian McCaffrey's first game back. Carolina did not put together a very good game here. I was expecting this to be a much closer game than it was. Reading into this game gets a little bit challenging, given that we didn't really get to see Carolina function in a game that might have more of a neutral script throughout. So we saw Christian McCaffrey with 14 rushing attempts, five targets. Amir Abdullah, five targets, one rushing attempt. It would have been nice if we could have seen some of those targets go to Hubbard as he tries to stay fantasy relevant with Christian McCaffrey back in the picture. Hubbard only saw three rushing attempts, three yards, an absolute doubt of a fantasy performance for him. I don't think that many people, though, were expecting to see Hubbard remain a usable fantasy player when McCaffrey gets back into the lineup. And honestly, we probably don't need to see that much more from this team in terms of game scripts or game flow or anything of that nature. When McCaffrey's in there, until we learn otherwise, we need to bank on the idea that this offense is going to run so much through him. He is going to be the guy rushing. He's going to be the guy receiving. You might have a couple carries, a couple targets sprinkled in for the other backs in the offense. But in my opinion, when McCaffrey is there, it does not make sense to bank on Hubbard being able to get you any amount of production. Will there be a week or two where maybe he gets lucky, gets an opportunity where the team is relatively close to the end zone and punches it in or breaks a big play here and there, sure. But this really is going to be McCaffrey's offense, I think, in all facets. Now, Sam Darnold played atrociously in this game, went 16 for 33, completed just 48.5% targets, has some medical issues that he's being evaluated for, put up only 172 yards, uh, had a yards per attempt of just 5.2, zero touchdowns, three interceptions. And what's particularly troubling for Darnold is when you look just simply at his yards up through week four versus his yards since, you see this drastic change. And the team itself has been trending downward from this point. And I think that 
it's going to have a negative impact, especially now that we've added McCaffrey back into the situation on DJ Moore. It would be hard to say that it's not going to. So Darnold in week one, 279 passing yards, followed by 305, 304, 301. And also in those games, he was scoring, for those of you that wanted to use Darnold in fantasy, he was scoring touchdowns as a rusher. Week five puts up 177 passing yards. Week two, 207, excuse me, week six, 207, 112, 129 in week eight. And then, as I said, just 172 in week nine. That is a huge fall off. And you could blame some of that on a change in passing volume. However, there really hasn't been a material change. And unfortunately, DJ Moore's best stretch of the season is probably going to be weeks one through four, where he was able to be the beneficiary of a lot of that production from Darnold opened with 80 yards, 79, 126, 113 through week four in that stretch. Also put up three touchdowns since he's been at 42 yards, 73, 73, 59. That was through week eight. And then let me just pull up real quickly here as actual line from the team's game against New England in week nine. Did see seven targets, just three receptions though for 32 yards, did not record a touchdown. So this has really been at this point, the tale of two seasons for Carolina, for Sam Darnold, and as a result, DJ Moore. So a natural question would become, should you try to ship off DJ Moore? I think this would go back to kind of the default message. And I'll echo some of what I think Curtis would say here, which is you can always be exploring making moves, always trying to be improving your team. You'd have to see what you get for more. I'm not saying that you need to panic and try to sell them by any stretch of the imagination, but you're probably looking at a player now that's going to be lucky to put up a couple more wide receiver in one week just because his offense really is not functioning the way that you would like to see it right now. So Curtis isn't here to talk about Cleveland, but I do want to take a minute to highlight the team now that it is without Odell Beckham moving forward. And this looks like something that's going to be good for the team. Another thing that the guys talked about on Stealing Signals, uh, which I imagine Curtis would have brought up too, was if you go back and you look, for whatever reason, when Odell Beckham is not in the offense, Baker, Baker Mayfield puts up better numbers. As a result, the offense functions more efficiently and the team is stronger overall. A very balanced profile in terms of the different players being used in the team's first game without OBJ. Three targets going to Donovan Peoples-Jones, three to David Njoko, two Harrison Bryant, uh, wow, two to Harrison Bryant, five to Jarvis Landry, two to Austin Hooper, one to Anthony Schwartz. What we can deduce from this first game and what we've seen in the past without OBJ is a passing attack that is likely to use a lot of its different players and not necessarily force targets in any one direction. So if you look back to weeks, let's just look at weeks seven and eight, for example, contrast that with week nine. Uh, in those games, you had 18 targets for Jarvis Landry, nine for Austin Hooper, five for Njoku, four for Harrison Bryant, seven for OBJ, six for Rashard Higgins, three for Anthony Schwartz. So it was uh, you know, a fairly 
uh, it, it was distributed fairly evenly across those players or, or, you know, to say differently, it wasn't overly concentrated in a couple of players. I don't think that Beckham leaving means that all of a sudden you see Jarvis Landry's targets go way up or you see one of the one of the other pieces there have their targets go way up. It's probably going to continue to get spread around fairly evenly. But just to highlight these splits here, um, in Baker Mayfield's career, 28 games with Odell Beckham, 25 without him. PPR, fantasy points, in weeks in which Beckham played 17.1, weeks without 19.49. Attempts right around 33, completions at 19.25, with Beckham in the game, 21.24 with him out. Interceptions, a whole interception per game, with OBJ in, 0.68 with him out. Passing touchdowns, 1.5 with him in, 1.56 with him out. But passing yards go up from 227 to 257 with um, out Beckham. Now, those numbers don't seem that drastic. Across a season, though, you see the yards go from 3,643 to 4,115. So that is fairly material. But it's just interesting that this is a move that could open up the possibilities for Baker to be a little bit more usable in fantasy in turn as it gets this offense to perhaps function just a touch better, opens up some more opportunity even for the running backs, maybe for some of these other wide receivers to accrue a little bit more production. Again, probably doesn't raise the bar too much for any of the specific pieces in the receiving game. But nonetheless, I thought this was noteworthy, especially as we see this team come out and beat Cincinnati 41 to 16. One of the takeaways that I have just in general from this week is how crazy it is just the drastic swings in fortune through the different weeks, uh, you know, in the outcomes that happen that you just never would expect, as we talked about Buffalo Jacksonville, gone back a couple of weeks, you would not have expected to see Cincinnati come out, lose in the fashion that they did to Cleveland uh, and kind of hit this downturn in its season where now Cincinnati is at five and four, um, but behind Cleveland, behind Pittsburgh and behind Baltimore in the division, now coming off of a loss 34 to 31 to the Jets and a loss to the divisional rival. So a lot of interesting twists and turns in this season so far. But let's head back over to the NFC. Next team I wanted to talk about was the Philadelphia Eagles. So we have seen something very bizarre this year with Kenny Gainwell because if you look at his numbers, you'll see that on the year, he has just 41 rushing attempts, three rushing touchdowns, 31 targets, one receiving touchdown, and on the year, 74.4 fantasy points. Now, that is not a particularly high total. Um, if you look at the entire league, uh, he comes in at... RB 57, but via scoring some touchdowns in these games, he's managed to have a decent amount of usable weeks. But where things are going to get interesting now is with this introduction of Jordan Howard into the team's backfield. In the last two games, you have Jordan Howard with 29 rushing attempts. You have Boston Scott with 22 rushing attempts. Gainwell just at 15. Now, Miles Sanders 
might be back for week 12, could be coming back off the IR in week 11, I believe. Unclear if he really will. But what you're going to have now is a case where you have to expect that Gainwell's usage is going to continue to go down. Um, In the weeks prior to Jordan Howard starting to be used. So we're looking for weeks one through seven. You had Gamewell at 26 rushing attempts, Miles Sanders at 63, Boston Scott at seven. It's interesting that we're now seeing Boston Scott get more involved, but some of that is because he's filling more of that role of what Miles Sanders was doing. So what's all of this leading up to? Well, we've talked about it. Philadelphia has a very favorable running back schedule on the horizon. Kenny Gamewell has been you has been useful in spots. Thanks to that touchdown volume, hard to project that going out looking forward. Most likely what's going to happen is we're now going to see a Philadelphia Eagles offense that continues to utilize Jordan Howard. Once Miles Sanders is back, Miles Sanders will slate back in and be the back there that will get the most of the work. Now on a points per game basis, if we look at the Philadelphia backs, uh, excuse me. Um, the <laughs> breakdown right now is Jordan Howard at 15.4. Of course, that's just in two games and seven games. Miles Sanders at 8.9, Boston Scott at 8.6, Gainwell at 8.2 through the nine games that he's played in. We talked about Sanders, a guy that you could go after. I think the presence of Howard limits some of his value and that um, flip of fortune for Sanders that we thought could be on the way if he was able to start to get some of those touchdowns, perhaps that Gainwell was getting um, and hit somewhat of a stride towards the back half of the year. Uh, so that's a situation to pay attention to. You know, maybe you do go out, try to see if you can get Jordan Howard on the cheap, try to see if you can get Miles Sanders on the cheap. Uh, but moral of the story here is Kenny Gainwell, if you were hoping to get production from him for the rest of the year, that looks like a hard proposition. Now, perhaps a lot of teams out there or listeners aren't that concerned about Gainwell, but I know in deeper leagues, he's been a guy that gets into flex spots for teams fairly frequently, um, depending on league size, but in some of the contests that I'm in, I do see him getting played. So let's pop back over to the AFC. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So Denver beats Dallas 30 to 16. And the reason I bring up Denver here is I want to just break down what we've seen in the two games since Jerry Judy has been back. Now, a natural caveat here is things could be a little bit different had Noah Fant played in both of these games. But what I find most interesting here is just the breakdown of targets across the wide receivers. So in those two games, you had Tim Patrick at eight targets, Jerry Judy at 12, Cortland Sutton at six, Kendall Hinton at one, only played in one game. So those are the targets for the wide receivers. You also had Albert O at eight targets. In those games, so 24% share for Jerry Judy, Cortland sudden share going down to 12 Judy at 108 yards, Tim Patrick at 149. So I can't guarantee that the appearance of Judy back into this offense pushes sudden well out of wide receiver to contention, but it's possible that it does. And one of the reasons for that is if we rewind back to week one where Judy was active in that game, we saw seven targets for Judy, four for Patrick, eight for Fant, and just three for Cortland Sutton. So just a three-game sample, but you can see that when Judy's in, he is the wide receiver that's seeing the most targets, and it really does seem to impact the number of looks that are going Sutton's way. Or perhaps we can say that from a... um hindsight perspective it did whether or not judy being there really is going to continue to depress it it is a little bit troubling for managers that have Cortland sudden on their roster and are relying on him without judy he'd been going for 8.4 targets a game over 80 yards i think that judy coming back in has shifted the dynamics to some degree within this offense and Heading into the season, it looked like it was possible that we could see this offense where you have both Judy and Sutton being very desirable fantasy players. That might not play out. So there's not too much of a prognosis we can place on this right now. I just think it's interesting the impact that we've seen from Judy at this point. Let's pop back over now to the NFC and talk quickly here about the Arizona Cardinals because Chase Edmonds dealing now with an injury and it looks like he's at least going to take a small trip to the IR. Maybe the team gets him back in three weeks suffering from a high ankle sprain. But in the meantime, this is really going to elevate the value of James Conner. 115 rushing attempts on the season, as we talked about, ton of touchdowns, Only 10 targets, averaging just 3.9 yards per attempt to Edmonds 5.7, but none of that matters. Connor now is going to be a player that's very attractive for redraft leagues, also probably very attractive for teams in the league. And Arizona does have a somewhat favorable rest of season strength of schedule. But the one thing that I think we really do need to talk about is does James Conner become a player here that you try to sell? Now, 
Arizona's offense is really good. And as a result of that, it's been positioned in Connor in a place where he can continue to accrue these touchdowns. Should a player seeing usage like Connor has be putting up this many touchdowns? Well, let's think about it like this. At this point, he's put up 10 rushing touchdowns on 115 attempts. So that means he's scoring a touchdown on 8.7% of rushing touchdowns. If I go over to the Rotovis screener and I look at players that have recorded more than 150 rushing attempts in a season, and I'm doing this live, so let me do this quickly. And then we look at the highest rates, what we will see is that this puts him at a very, very high clip. Players have done better, though. So you have somebody like Ladanian Tomlinson in 2006, Priest Holmes in 2003, Sean Alexander, Priest Holmes, Larry Johnson, Marshall Falk, Ladanian Tomlinson, Daniel Williams in 2008, Adrian Peterson in 2009, Garrett Blunt in 2016. You had Ladanian Tomlinson in 2004, Larry Johnson in 2006, Michael Turner in 2008, uh, LaShawn McCoy, 2011, Todd Gurley, 2018, Derek Henry, 2020, Ricky Williams, 2002, Sean Alexander is in there, Aaron Foster, David Johnson season, Derek Henry season, Aaron Jones season, a Davin Cook season, Alvin Kamara season, and Mike Anderson season. Do we notice anything about that list when we read down it? Probably what becomes pretty apparent is players that stay at that pace. And if you continue to go down that list, they're all players that were the focal point of their offense and had very, very solid careers. And we see them performing this well across a number of seasons. Now, you could say that maybe there's a couple of guys in here who had some seasons that were outliers. Uh, you know, LeGarrette Blunt, probably the, not the type of player that you put into that group with Tomlinson, Holmes, and Sean Alexander. There were some some specifics in that season that got him there. Could there be specifics in Connor? Sure. Does he keep up this pace? Probably not. Um, as a result of that, we need to question if everything that he's been doing this year in terms of a point accrual is based just off of those rushing touchdowns. So Connor's put up 132 points so far. Rushing touchdowns account for 45% of that. Let's say that in the back half of the season, his touchdown pace reduces by 50%. And then we'll just do a crude exercise here where we carry forward attempts per games, targets, attempts per game, targets per game, assume same efficiency as a rusher, and then assume that he's scoring um, instead of 1.1 rushing touchdowns a game, he's scoring um, 0.55. If we take those assumptions, turn it into fantasy points, we get James Conner with around 11.2 points per game at a pace where he's still scoring more than half a touchdown a game. In my mind, I think it's definitely possible that he keeps that pace. I think it's even possible 
that we could see him at a rate of about three quarters of a touchdown per game. Perhaps that's aggressive, but let's see what that does. That puts him around 12.5 PPR points a game, which contrasts with his current pace of 14.7. So you would still see a reduction of two points a game. So if you were looking to deal Connor, what you're probably trying to do is identify a player that you reasonably expect to score more than 13 points a game, depending on your tolerance for your risk in this maneuver, exactly what you're looking for. But that's how I would be contextualizing it if I were trying to move Connor right now. A player that you expect to score more than 13 points, or perhaps if you want to play a conservative, you'd be looking for a guy that you're expecting to score 13 and a half, 14 points a game from here on out. Now, those players that are doing that currently are as follows. Of course, at the top of the list, you had Derrick Henry at 24.1, Jonathan Taylor, Austin Eckler, Najee Harris, Alvin Kamara, Cordero Patterson, Christian McCaffrey, DeAndre Swift, Joe Mixon, Kareem Hunt, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick Chubb, Aaron Jones, Daryl Henderson, James Robinson, Jordan Howard. We're at the 15.4 range for him. Leonard Fournette, 15.2. David Montgomery, 14.9. Josh Jacobs, 14.8. Dalvin Cook, 14.8. James Conner, 14.7. Next players, Elijah Mitchell at 13.5. So really, you're probably not going to feel great at a minimum going for anybody that's not James Robinson up and you know James Robinson I believe dealing with some injury right now not exactly sure what the outlook is for him um some of those names might be hard to make a move for so hopefully that gives some context and give you gives you some food for thought if you were interested in making the move and trying to sell high on James Conner the final thing I'll say is that it's definitely possible he tracks close to what he's been doing. Uh, but I, I do think that you're looking at a very um, small portion of his range of outcomes distribution if you're expecting him to stay where he is, which I don't think that most people are, but hopefully putting some numbers to it helps. So let's make one last trip over to the AFC. And the team we're going to talk about in the AFC is Miami. Not so much the team, but I did want to take a minute to stop, pause, and talk about Jalen Waddle, uh, a receiver that I was really high on during the summer, a player that landed in a spot where it looked like he could make an immediate impact, has to perhaps to some extent benefited from having uh, a wide receiver core where he's not being challenged with Will Fuller available due to health reasons. But let's just take a quick second and focus on where his numbers place him in a historical context, going into the Rotovis screener, looking for weeks one through nine, and then just players in their first season. If we do that and then look at the results, what we will see is that Waddle, from a PPR per game perspective, is wide receiver 26. Now, keep in mind, we are looking at rookie wide receivers from year 2000 through. 2021. So you have a lot of players. You have him in a range with guys like CeeDee Lamb, Terry McLaurin, Brandon Cooks, Brandon Ayuk, Andre Johnson, Charles Rogers. That's a pretty 
pretty high clip. In terms of receiving targets, he's actually tied with Roy Williams, Amari Cooper, and Stefan Diggs as the wide receiver nine with nine targets per game. Receptions, he is at number two. Only Eddie Royal put up more receptions per game at 6.6 through his first nine games of his career. At touchdowns, he is at 0.4 per game, which puts him down into the 60 region. Uh, But from a percentile perspective among rookie wide receivers, still pretty impressive. Then receiving yards per game, Waddle is at um, wide receiver 64. So with the way that Miami has been using him, it's not surprising to see him at that number long and the short of it is this has been a pretty darn compelling campaign uh, for Jalen Waddle so far kind of going unrecognized because we have Jamar chase at 20 points per game right now, leading all other rookie wide receivers uh, for a, a, a quick summary here of the other 2021 rookies. We have Devonta Smith at 62 with 11.1 Kadarius Tony at 10.5 at 71 Rondo Moore at 10 PPR per game at 82 Elijah Moore creeping back up is at 90 with 9.6 followed by Rashad Bateman at 8.9 as the 110. Uh, but Jalen model doing pretty well from a, uh, historical perspective. Let me quickly do a similarity search here for you. Um, that will just give us a better idea of with the way that he's accruing points this year, what receivers he can be compared to. You have Eddie Royal, 2008, Brandon Cooks, 2014, Anquan Bold in 2013, Des Bryant, 2010, Preston Williams, 2019, uh, Kiki Kute, 2018, CD Lamb, 2020, T Higgins, 2020, Allen Robinson, 2014, Juwan Dawson, 2000, Amari Cooper, 2005, Charles Rogers, 2013. Pretty good group of players there to be masked with. So that takes us to the end of today's episode. Uh, Curtis is planning on being available as always for us to record tomorrow night. Hopefully things end well for you on Monday night. And uh, when you are listening to us later this week, you will have another W under your belt. Thank you for listening to the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. Send us questions at rvffshow at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at CPatrickNFL. Leave us a voicemail at 978-615-9214 and make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. 